Good morning. It's great to see you. Glad to be here. What a fabulous time to celebrate with people as they get baptized. I know those are always the most exhilarating services to me, to watch somebody walk through that symbol that's saying, I'm publicly saying that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I always get excited. I always get jazzed up. And I love when these kids just share their stories. You know, you get to enter in because, you know, sometimes we don't see. We're not on the front lines of life change, if you will. Maybe we, we, we serve kind of behind the scenes, but we see these moments. This is why we give. This is why we serve. To have these moments like these happen in the lives of our students and the lives of our people is just so incredibly, so incredibly rewarding. Well, we're making this transition as we go through the Gospel of John. We're kind of moving with Jesus a little bit here as he's kind of retreating away from his public ministry. Jesus, so far in the Gospel of John, has been very, very open and and very out there in front of people. And and Jesus is going to take a turn, and he's already done that. We've seen that last week, that Jesus is now going to retreat from public ministry. We're calling this last words. This is Jesus' kind of intimate and final conversation with his followers. Jesus, from this moment on, is basically only going to speak to them. And then he's only going to speak to his Father in prayer. And what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples is the closer he gets to the crucifixion, the closer he, he, he wants to prepare them for, hey, here's what life is like when I'm gone. When I leave you, I want you to know how you should live. And the great thing about this, kind of as we walk through this, is we see that Jesus is speaking to us too. Because Jesus is not right here with us. That we need to learn how to live this Christian life as we wait for him to come again. And really the center of Jesus' prayer as he speaks to the Father is to tell them, Father, I I want you to do these things for me. I I want you to be there for those that I'm leaving. And so really what Jesus is doing in these last words here is he's preparing his disciples for his departure. And really, he's preparing us as well. Church, this is how you should live. Followers of Christ, this is how you should live. And Jesus is going to kick things off this way. He's going to say, hey, here's one of the dominating marks. Here's one of the the primary characteristics. is, is, Here's the description I want for the community that I'm building. Now now think for a moment, just just to yourself. If you were describing the, the Christian community, if you're describing the church, what is like one of the number one descriptors that you want to come to your mind? Like, like what, what, somebody in Hercules, what causes them to stop and say, wow, man, Valley Bible Church follows after Jesus. I, I'm not saying they agree with us or they acknowledge everything that we believe, but how do they know with just ultimate clarity that Jesus is being followed here at Valley Bible Church? What gives them that kind of indicator? How would they describe what they see when they look at us? What would convince them and compel them to say, those guys are legit. Those guys are real. Man, they're following after Jesus. Well, Jesus does not leave this up to mystery. Right? In John chapter 13, the chapter that we're starting with, but in verse 35, which we'll fully unpack in a couple weeks, Jesus makes it very clear. How does he want his community to be defined? John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, right? They should encounter us as a loving people. 
as a people that are marked by how we love each other. That, that, that's clear. I think that was probably what came to your mind as you were thinking, how should we be described? Love clearly is what we should be doing. I mean, the absence of that would probably compel people to say, what are those guys up to in that building? Like, what are they doing? They're not loving. Clearly, they're not following Jesus. But that idea is a little in the clouds, isn't it? Like, how do you quantify that? Right, maybe, maybe you're an engineer by profession, or, or maybe just an analytical person. And that definition to you is just a little too soggy. Like love. Okay, well, how is that measured? How do we know that we're doing that? How can we evaluate that? Get a little more descriptive. How do I know that love is happening? Well, in the first part of John, I think that's exactly, or the first part of John 13, that's exactly what Jesus is going to show Jesus is going to show, let me give you a concrete reality. Let me give you a visual. Let me make it so practical. Let me make it unavoidable. Let me make it so incredibly clear. Let me demonstrate. Here's how you measure love. Here's how you know you're doing it well. I think that's what we're going to see in our passage today. Jesus answering that question, how do we measure love? And so the big idea for today, if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. If you're going to write one thing in, in the margin of your Bible or take one note on your phone, if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. I think this is the answer to the question of how do we measure love. The big idea is this. Love is measured in feet. Love is measured in feet. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean feet as in like the measurement of length and width. I'm not saying that people are going to be compelled that our Christianity is true and vibrant based on the square footage of our building. How much space we take up on this planet. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these guys right here. Feet. The things you walk on. Jesus is going to demonstrate to his disciples, here's how I love. I'm going to stoop down, serve you, and wash your feet. And how you measure love is by sacrifice, is by service, is by humble acts of people coming into room and saying, no, I'll take the lowest position. I'll serve. Love is measured in acts of service. And Jesus will show that to us very clearly in our passage through this foot washing of his disciples. But, but that's going to be a symbol of what he's going to do. The greater act of service, which is his death on the cross for his disciples to make them clean, not just get dirt off their feet, but to get sin out of their soul. Then it's going to take a turn. As Jesus says, here's how you measure love. It's measured in feet. It's measured in service. He's then going to say to his disciples, this is how I measure your love. Don't just admire the measure of my love. Follow it. I'm meant to be an example. Your love is measured in feet as well. Let me show you this. John chapter 13. Let's start with verse 1. We're going to see what is, is very much known, I feel. Not just in those that are familiar with reading the Bible, but I think even those that aren't familiar with reading the Bible. Jesus washing his disciples' feet is something iconic. Something iconic, just something that sticks in the mind of somebody who's thinking about Christianity. This isn't a, a novel scene to us. It's not something totally new and out of the blue. But the significance at times can be lost, and I think what is, what is to prompt us to do can be lost as well. Look how John sets this up, because he's going to show us this is not just about getting dirt off of people's feet. There's something much more deeper 
that this is pointing to, and he sets it up this way for us in the very beginning. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1, says this. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Right there, what's going on? John is setting something up. He said, the hour has come. Now, it's not that he's getting like a push notification to his Apple Watch. Hey, you have to have a meal. That's not what's going on here. And you've known if you've been with us as we've journeyed through the Gospel of John, and we've been journeying through the Gospel of John for a while. We're taking a nice, slow walk with Jesus through the Gospel of John. Uh, we're about halfway through, and it's been a year and a half. So buckle up. We're going at crazy speed, right? But what we've seen really up to this point in John chapter 1, really through John chapter 11, is this phrase of our has come up over and over and over again. And really it's been used for why stuff is not happening. The idea being Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for me now. It's not time to get things going. No, 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 that's not the plan of God. And then we took a turn in John chapter 12. And then the hour had come. What's the hour? What's the event that Jesus is talking about? Jesus is talking about his death, resurrection, and exaltation. He's talking about his sacrifice on this cross, his defeat of death, and his ascension to the Father. He's talking about that moment. That's been the center of his entire ministry. That's the goal of where he's going. He didn't get sidetracked by the crucifixion. It was his goal from the very beginning, to die and to rise on behalf of humanity, to die for their sins. And that moment has now arrived. Things are falling into place. So you can see the setting is already significant. The setting is already setting us up for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the backdrop that this foot washing will have. Look at it again. He sets it up again. Right? Look at verse. We're still in verse 1. He says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, John wants to get in our mind, here's the hour, it's coming, the crucifixion of the Son of God, the sacrifice for the sins of humanity, that day is coming, and then he brings up, what's the next theme? Love. Jesus loved his own. He loved his disciples. It says he loved them to the end. Now that phrase is actually hard for us to understand in the English. In the Greek, it's a little honestly ambiguous. It's hard to understand even what's being communicated in the Greek. It could be understood two ways. One, it could be understood adverbially, meaning describing the love. It, it could be translated that he, he showed him the full extent of his love. The, his full affection was on display. He did not reserve himself in love, but he showed his love completely to the fullest extent. To the end of his love, he reached that point. It could also be translated or understood in the idea of kind of a, a time period. He loved them all the way to the end of his life. There was never a time where he pulled away his love and his affection, but he consistently displayed that love all the way to the end. Here's what I think is happening. I don't think we need to make a choice there. In my opinion, I think John is intentionally ambiguous because he wants us to think of both of those. We've seen John do this before. He loves these kind of two layers of meaning. And I think that's exactly what John wants us to do. The reason he leaves it that way is because he doesn't want us to have to pick this or this. I think he wants us to see it's this and this. Jesus showed his full love and affection for his disciples. 
He showed the full extent of his love all the way up to the end of his life. He never retreated in showing them affection. Do you see what John is setting up here? This is not just going to be about getting dirt off of people's feet. Jesus is showing, I love you. I love you so much, I'm about to embrace my hour. The hour of my death, the hour of my crucifixion, the hour of my agony, the hour of wrath I'm about to bear. And I love you in this act of service. And I'm going to love you all the way to the end. It's beautiful. But then the next verse kind of gets sinister. It sets up the ugly side of the cross. Right, look at the next verse. It shows us there's another part to be played here, and that is by Judas. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is where we see just the contrast of the crucifixion. Right? It's murderous. It's evil. It's terrible. Humanity's most degrading, demoralizing, terrible, sinister act of humanity was in the crucifixion of the Son of God. The most horrendous thing ever done was at the moment where we tried to take the life of the Son of God. Yet, in this most just terrible moment, it was our greatest moment. It was our moment of redemption, our moment of, uh, of forgiveness, our moment of of winning, in a sense, against our brokenness, against death, against the tyranny of the devil, against ourselves. It was the moment where we were redeemed. That great murderer was a great sacrifice. You see these kind of, just kind of, a black and white kind of contrast here, building up and culminating in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I got to show these guys the measure of my love as I get to this point. So here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to show them the cross in serving them. I'm going to show them my love in washing their feet. Look what Jesus does. He sets it up, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garment, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. It's so interesting what compels Jesus, it seems like, to be the catalyst of this foot washing. We know his hour is coming. We know his betrayer right now is starting to make a plan to hand Jesus over. But then it says Jesus knows something. What does Jesus know? God has given him all things, and he's about to come back to the Father. What is that language all about? That language is all about kingdom. That language is about authority. That language is about God the Father giving him all things, all power and all authority and all dominion. He is handing him a kingdom, and Jesus is about to ascend to the throne, go back to his Father, and be exalted. He's saying, King King, King, King. Jesus knows who he is. He's not confused. Jesus does not take this humble posture because he thinks of himself lowly. He's not taking this posture as a servant because he doesn't understand who he is. He doesn't recall that he's the Son of God. He's had amnesia and he thinks he's somebody else. No, in the clearest moment of who he is and his identity and what is coming, that he is the King of the cosmos, 
that he is about to redeem humanity. He is about to be the victor of creation. He decides it's time to serve. It's time to stoop down, humble myself, in one of the most demeaning acts I can do. I'm going to show him that my love is measured in feet. It's measured in acts of service. Wow. So he takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, fills a basin with water, and starts to wash his disciples' feet. Now for us in the first century world, or 21st century world, we don't understand what's going on here. It's hard for really for us to, to even grapple with the idea of how disruptive Jesus is being here. This is not polite. This isn't mannerly. This isn't the right thing to do. This is, this is demeaning. This is disruptive. This is degrading. And Jesus does it, it seems like, as the verse sets it up, right in the middle of the feast. Why would he do that? It was customary as you came in to somebody's house that you would have your feet washed. Maybe the, a host would provide a servant or there would be a basin there for you to wash your feet. It'd be like when we like go to a party and we're like, hey, can I set my coat somewhere, right? Maybe we go to like a Christmas party. It's a little colder here in the East Bay and we say, hey, can you, can you take my coat? Or, or, or we lay purses on people's bed in their bedroom or something like that. It'd be like that. That happens at the beginning. You don't wear your coat until halfway through the meal and then take it off, right? Well, it was customary in the first century world for them to clean and then participate in the feast. But Jesus interrupts it. Why? Because he's being intentional in his interruption. He doesn't want to be ignored. He wants to shock his disciples. And the way they're posturing themselves, in in a first century meal, what they would do is they would lay kind of down on their left elbow. They'd use their right hand to kind of pick food off the table and eat it. So their feet would be far away from the table. So a servant if for some reason was washing during the meal, could be totally ignored. You could take on a conversation, you could eat all the stuff, and you wouldn't even see the person there washing your feet. But clearly, these guys can't ignore what Jesus is doing. They can't ignore it. And they're, in a sense, I think it's fair to say, insulted by what Jesus is doing. See, in the first century world, you you can find occasions, some occasions, where, say, a wife would wash the feet of a husband or, or children would wash the feet of the father or even disciples would wash the feet of a teacher. But those are very rare occasions. And even in those occasions, they would be shocking. It'd be shocking how those people were demeaning themselves to serve in this way. It was an incredibly dirty task. We know from later Jews, Jewish writings that a Jewish slave, slave, we're talking the lowest person on the social economic totem pole, would not be called upon to do this. A Jewish slave, somebody who was owned, somebody who was property in their eyes, would not be disrespected to that regard that they would be called on to do this task. And yet Jesus, being king, does it himself. And Peter's response, because of course he's the one talking, he's going to show us just how repulsed he is by Jesus. Look at this. Look Look at Peter's response to this. Verse six. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, 
Now understand this. You're not going to have a higher view of Peter after the end of this message, okay? I, trust me on that. But let's give him a little bit of respect. How does he start his statement to Jesus? Lord. It's not just respect. This is reverence. I think Peter clearly sees Jesus as the Son of God. What Jesus knows, that everything is handed over to him and he's going back to the Father, I think Peter may not understand all of that, but he gets some of that. He knows who Jesus is. And so he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, this is not for you. Look what he says, right? His question really isn't a question. It's a challenge. What does he say? Lord, do you wash my feet? No, no, I should be washing your feet. We got to turn this thing around. Don't do that. That's inappropriate. That's wrong. No, you're meant to be revered, not to serve. Jesus, stop. And what does Jesus say? Jesus' response shows us this is more. This is more than just a foot washing. It's more than just getting dirt off your feet. This is symbolic. It's symbolic of the sacrifices that are about to come. It's symbolic about the cross. It's symbolic about what Jesus will do in humiliating himself in dying on the cross for the sins of Peter and for the sins of us. Look at how Jesus acknowledges something more than just an act of humble service is being given here. Jesus' response is this. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you don't understand now. Clearly. What I am doing, you don't understand now. But afterward you will understand. What is Jesus saying there? There's an event that's coming down here that once that event happens, then you'll understand this event right here. You won't get what I'm doing until this moment over here. What event is Jesus talking about? What is in the future? What is the humble act of service that Jesus is referring to? It's the cross. It's his hour that we've been introduced to in the very beginning of this chapter. Peter, you're not going to get it yet. Now, of course, Peter thinks not now means, well, three minutes later, I'll get it, right? Because Peter just continues to talk. It's hilarious. Jesus said, hey, man, you're not going to get this right now. Okay. How about now? Right now, look at how Peter changes from a question to a direct challenge. Imagine speaking to Jesus like this. Imagine having enough courage to talk to Christ like this. Now again, we're going to read this and probably our first response is going to be like, wow, Peter, you're so obnoxious. But here's what I want you to really see because I think the big takeaway is not Peter's obnoxious response. It's the shock that Peter is feeling because Jesus is intentionally trying to shock his disciples. So we shouldn't be shocked that they're shocked. Look what, you, look what Peter says. Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Wow. There's a certain way that you talk to your parents, right? And if you talk to your parents in that way, you may never talk again. Right? Can you imagine? I mean, he called him Lord. He knows who he is. What is going on? Peter, in his mind, is like, no, God is not a slave. God is not a servant. No, I serve you. No, I bow to you. You're King Jesus. Dominion, glory, honor, and power are yours. 
You are the one to receive the kingdom. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the hero. We bow to you. We, we fly your banner. You do not stoop to us, grab a towel, tie it around your waist, and wash our dirty feet. You do not demean yourself, Jesus. No, I can't do this. I can't do this. You're my king and not my servant. Peter, you're missing it. Love is measured in feet, in humble acts of service. And as shocking, as shocking as Peter's response is, I think Jesus' words, honestly, rightly understood, are more shocking. More shocking than Peter telling Jesus, the one he calls Lord, telling him, you shall never. You don't give commands to people who have Lord at the front of their name. Right? But look at Jesus' response. And imagine, if Jesus is only talking about foot washing, what Jesus says is rigid. What Jesus says is honestly self-humility. False humility, I would say. If all that Jesus is talking about is washing feet, then what he says right now is revolting, honestly. Right? Look what Jesus says. Let me, let, me, let me show you this. Peter responds, you shall never, you shall never, Jesus, wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Man, these are strong words. You have no share with me. You have no part with me. You have no fellowship with me. It'd be like this. Imagine, imagine if you were going to allow me to serve you. All right, one of the ways I love to serve people is I love to be hospitable and I love to make food. My wife's a fabulous cook. I'm not a fabulous cook, but when it comes to smoking stuff, and not like rolling smoking, I'm talking the grill smoking, okay? Don't, don't, don't get a, a low view of your pastor as you leave this Sunday morning, right? But I love, I love to just take my time, low and slow, baby, you know, to smoke that meat for you. Imagine if I threw on a brisket for you. And I meant, I meant, ooh, I was tender to it. I smoked it for eight, ten hours. I was there. I massaged it. I wrote a haiku about it. And I sang it over the grill as it was smoking. Right? And then you come over to my house. And as I'm cutting it, I saved that last little end piece, that little burnt end for you. Man, I just cut it off, and I'm saving that little piece for you. But let's just say you came to my house, and you already ate. Jerk. Right? You already ate. And I, and I come with a fork. It's funny. I just did this to one of our, our missionaries we support. I just did that. I, I put a fork, and I put it right up to his mouth. And he did, he did the right thing. He took it. He ate it, right? But imagine if you came to my house, and you already ate. And I put that fork, and I'm just like, here, man. And I love that. I said, here, here you go. I feel like I'm passing the Olympic torch. Like, I, it's just something very meaningful. I hand it to you. You're like, oh, man, I've already eaten. You take this. Or you're out of the church. What would you think? Yep, I am out of the church. <laughs> I'm gone, right? If I force my service upon you, let me humbly serve you, or you're out. You're fired. That's what Jesus is doing. You see that? Jesus, this is a verdict. This is courtroom language. It's this or this. There's no option. Either I wash you, or you're out. Wow. Wow. If Jesus is just talking about feet, that doesn't make sense. If he's just talking about dirt, 
But you talk about hygiene. If that's his big idea, then what's going on here? But when we realize Jesus is not just talking about getting dirt off of feet, it's a symbol. A symbol of what? Of sacrifice, of self-humiliation, of demeaning himself all the way to the cross, of taking that lowly position, about coming under, really coming under all of humanity, of posturing himself as a slave, as a servant, embracing a, a judgment that is not his, was not his to bear, breaking fellowship with his father, being forsaken by his father, his father turning aside from him as he would cry out in his humble act of service, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hearing words he should have never heard as the son of God. It should have been eternity of love and affection resounding between the three members of the Trinity, never broken, but at that moment, the song of love for the Son of God stopped on the cross. Why would he do that? Because he was singing a song for you. And he was singing a song for me. And he was singing a song for Peter. And if we do not let that song be sung over us, we have no part with Jesus. If we don't accept his sacrifice, we have no part for Jesus. If we don't accept his love, if we don't accept him as the only means for a right standing with God, if we see the only way for us to be loved again is to allow God's love to shower upon us in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, then it is true. Those words are very true. We have no part with him. But Peter again doesn't get it. Peter, again, is thinking of feet. And Jesus' words, Peter, you're not going to understand this until later, ring true once again. And honestly, the next thing he says, it like belongs on a comic strip. I mean, what he says is so missing the mark. He's way too literal. He doesn't see what Jesus is doing. He doesn't see beyond the foot washing. Look at Peter's response. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head shoulders, knees, and toes. Jesus, not just a pedicure, man, just bathe me, right? That's what he's saying. Peter, dude, right? I think Peter, I think Jesus just stops. All right, all right, all right, all right. stop the foot washing. Peter, focus. <laughs> this is pointing to something else. And look, we get another clue that Jesus is speaking of something much more significant than getting dirt off feet. He's saying this is a symbol of my sacrificial love and the cleansing that you need over your soul because of your sin. Like, look at how he describes this. All right, let's, let's keep going. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely, Jesus is now another, a new word here, not washing. He says, but is completely clean. You, and this is plural, you are clean. You are all clean, but not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about clean? Is Jesus just talking about their feet not having dirt anymore? No, that's not what he's talking about. How do we know that? Because Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Judas is in the room. Judas doesn't leave till verse 30. He's in the entire chapter here. 
If, if cleanliness just meant getting dirt off your feet, then Judas is clean. But Jesus just said, not all of you are clean. The one who will betray me, he's not clean. Jesus is talking about what? The cleansing of the soul. And he told Peter, Peter, you're clean. If you accept my sacrifice, you're clean. Jesus used the same words in John chapter 15, verse 3. Same word. He says this in chapter 15, verse 3. You already are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Words don't clean dirt off your feet. Right? We know this. I've got kids. Amen. Did you bathe? Yeah. Really? You're like pig pen. I can see like the dirt cloud like around you. Right? You're, saying you took a bath doesn't make you actually clean. What is Jesus talking about? You received my words, my testimony. And what's my testimony? My hour is coming. My hour is for you. And you are not yet clean if you don't accept my sacrifice. But he's telling Peter, Peter, you know me as Lord. You know me as teacher. You know I'm the Son of God. You know the hour that is coming. Peter, you're clean because you've received these words. I will serve you in sacrificing myself for you. Love is measured in feet. And we sing about this. Right? We, we sing about just the overwhelming love of God and the sacrifice of the Son of God. We sing about it, and there are times where we've sung that song like a hundred times, a thousand times. We've had conversations about it. We've read passages about it. I mean, every time I get to that point in the gospel, it still shakes me. Every time I hear it in a testimony uh, through, through a baptism, it shakes me. There's something, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every time you think about what happened to the Son of God, it just wrecks you. It ruins you. And you admire and you worship and you praise, and we should do those things. But Jesus doesn't want us to just stay there. See, this is the turn that he makes. He says, Peter, you have to understand, my love is measured in feet. My love is measured in service, in sacrifice. My love isn't comfortable. It's not easy. My love is inconvenient. My love is messy. My love is demeaning. My love is humiliating. And that's exactly how you're supposed to look. You see the turn there? Jesus is not just meant to be admired. He's meant to be our example. The cross isn't just something we see as something that Jesus did. We must see it as our pathway as well. Think about that for a moment. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as you see Jesus dying, you see it in your mind's eye as you read the scriptures. You feel it in your soul, the emotions evoking you. As you think about all those things, do you see it as something that's just happening to him or something that's supposed to happen to you? That you're supposed to follow him on that pathway. It's not just what was the plan of God for the Son of God. It is our pathway as followers of the Son. Look at this turn that Jesus makes. Jesus says, my love is measured in feet, so is yours. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet, put on their, his outer garment, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? There are times I would just like love to insert myself into the gospel and just say, no, they don't understand. Like, they're not going to get it. Like, have you heard Peter talk? Like, clearly this guy doesn't get it. Jesus, it's a rhetorical question. There's no response. I think Jesus knows you're not going to get this. So he explains it to him. Listen to this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, which is exactly what Peter just called him. You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, 
for so am I. What is he saying here? You thought that this disqualified me from service, that I was king, that I was Lord, that I was teacher, that I was master, that I was the one who had received all things from the Father, was going to the Father. I was the one about to ascend the throne, to have dominion over all of creation. You thought that that disqualified me from service. Nope. You got that point right. You got the second point wrong. Because I lead by service. Look what he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, or sorry, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's not compelling the disciples to open up a boutique that does pedicures, right? He's not just talking about getting dirt off of feet. What is he saying? You need to sacrifice for each other. You need to come in a room and take the lowest position. The lowest position. To humiliate yourself, in a sense. To demean yourself. To take such a radical position of humble service that it seems disruptive to the status quo. You need to break manners. You need to break systems of honor and respect and humiliate yourself in acts of service. That's what you need to do. Wow. Now look at this, because what Jesus says next, I think, is is almost an indirect rebuke. Follow the logic of Jesus here. I think Jesus is being tender in this moment. I do. But I do think there is kind of a passive or indirect rebuke. If then, let's pick up in verse 14. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Look at verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Okay, it doesn't sound too bad. What is Jesus setting up right there? Hey, I'm the master. You're not better than me. And I serve. So if you won't serve, what are you saying? You're saying you're better than me. Do you see the setup there? Oh, you have a loftier position than me? The Son of God? The one who has been given all things by the Father? The creator of the cosmos? The king of the universe? The one who bends everything according to his pleasure? The one who presides over everything? Not the most powerful, but the all-powerful. Nobody breathes Rebellion against me unless I tell them to breathe. I'm not just the biggest kid on the playground. I own the playground. Right? It's all here. There's no bully on the block that I'm afraid of. They're all afraid of me. They all bow to me. I am the king. I'm all powerful, all knowing, and omniscient. There is no rebellion that isn't by my own permission, and I will bend it to my will. I'm the boss, and I serve. And if you don't serve, what are you saying? Oh, you're bigger than me. Oh, you're better than me. Let me see your resume. Let me see if King of the Universe is on there real quick. Oh, you went to college. Good for you. Oh, you managed millions of dollars. Good for you. I manage trillions and trillions of particles. Quasars. I know all that stuff. Stuff you haven't even discovered yet. I hold it all together and bend it to my glory. So if I'm willing to bow, you better bow too. 
You better serve too. Wow, you see the setup there? I wonder what's going on right now on the face of Peter. Probably like, oops. <laughs> right? Now look at what Jesus does. I think this is beautiful. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Not just if you know them. Knowing of my love, knowing of my affection, knowing of my sacrifice. Knowing of my selfless love, my humiliation, my willingness to demean myself. To take on the burden of your sin. To die the death you should have died. Live the life you should have lived but didn't live. I was willing to embrace your future. I was willing to take hell, encapsulated in a moment. What you would have suffered for all of eternity was encapsulated in a moment and it crushed me. But it did not defeat me. You know that that's great. Live like one who follows my example, and you will be blessed. And I have to tell you, Valley Bible Church, this is how you love. This is how you love. And I'm so proud to be your pastor. Because I've seen that love on full display this summer. You love in service. You do. And I've been so encouraged by it. I'm not only proud to be your pastor, but I believe Jesus Christ is smiling over you. I mean, I just thought of it the other day. I was driving away um, from summer night camp. And we were going we to serve in, in summer night camp, but my wife and I, but we had two deaths in the family and been in funerals kind of the whole week. Got another one coming uh, on tomorrow. And just couldn't serve in that season. But my kids got to participate, do online and be in person. And I was driving away from summer night camp. And I thought, how odd of a place this is. Like, we have people who are taking vacation time to hang out with kids at summer night camp, to hang out with kids at middle school camp, to hang out with kids at high school camp, to hang out with kids at bungee soccer and volleyball madness. I take vacation to get away from my kids. We have people taking vacation to get with kids that aren't their kids, to love on those kids, to tell those kids about Jesus. You have shown a summer of this kind of love. Valley Bible Church, your love is measured in feet. And let me tell you, you have shown a great amount of love. So here's what I want to do. Is something new? Well, we did it last service, so it's not that new. But we're going to end our service off a little differently. And the reason is, it's not because I'm compelled by do something new, novel. It's because I feel compelled by Jesus Christ himself, who said at the very end, if you love like this, you're going to be blessed. So I'm gonna, I, want to, I want to end our service by pronouncing a blessing on you. So, but I need your help to do that. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you've served this summer, whether it be through summer night camps or volleyball madness or bungee soccer or uh, middle school camp or high school camp, if you've served in any way like that, whether it be from security to snack bar to a coach, what I want you to do is this. I want you to stand. Will you stand? Awesome. Now, stay, stay standing. Stay where you are, okay? Here's what I'm going to do. 
And this is the great thing about this blessing. It's not backed by Pastor Paul. Jesus said it, right? So I'm just aligning myself with Jesus and praying a specific blessing upon your life. I'm gonna pray for three things. I'm gonna pray that God bless you with great fruit, that you would see baptisms, life change stories because of your efforts. I'm praying that you'd see them and see them soon. I'm gonna pray secondly, secondly, that God would restore the time that you sacrificed away from your family. I know you can't get time back, I get that, but I want God to give you quality time with your loved ones, loved ones that you sacrifice time away from. And thirdly, I'm gonna ask that God give you rest. I hung out with a couple of you crazy people the other day and you were like, man, I haven't slept in I don't know how long. I only got three hours, two hours, like y'all are crazy, right? I'm gonna pray that God give you rest. So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna extend my hand out to you as a symbol of giving you a blessing. If you feel comfortable, what I ask you to do is this, and this is just a symbol here. I'd ask you to extend your hands like this as if you're gonna receive something from God. And for those of you that are seated, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be involved in this too. First off, don't feel guilty if you're, if you're seated. Don't feel guilty. That's not what this is about. Maybe this season was not a season of service for you. That's okay. It didn't work out that way for my family. But I want you to be a part of this too. So what I want you to do is I want you to extend your hand to the person closest to you as a symbol that you are pronouncing this blessing on them as well. So we're gonna be involved in this completely. If you're receiving that blessing, just extend your hand like this. If you're seated and you want to participate in this, extend your hand out to them as I pray this blessing upon them. Father God, I know you're thrilled. I know you're excited. We could say beforehand, that great day when we all stand before you, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We can hear those words echoed from eternity's future to right now. Right now, you are saying to everyone standing here, well done. That's my people. That's how I wanted them to live. Jesus Christ, you said that we'd be known by our service, how we love one another, and that has been on full display. So Father, I pray that you would bless. Jesus, I'm just in line with you right now. You said they would be blessed. So I'm holding that guarantee, and I'm asking that you would bless them. Bless them first, first, Lord. Bless them to see fruit from their labors. Father, we want a parade of life change. We want them to see your gospel penetrate their heart and then call you king. Call you Lord Jesus. Call you Father God. That's what we want. There's nothing we want more than to see more and more students give their lives over to you. So, Father, I pray for all of these wonderful servants, some of them serving behind the scene. Maybe they never see life change. Father, may you reward them with seeing fruits for their labors. Father, secondly, restore. Restore their time. I know they gave up so much, and they're not gonna ask for it again, but would you restore their time with their family? Make their time sweet. Give them great, wonderful, quality time. Father, allow them, allow them to enjoy the relationships that they stepped away from for a season so they could serve you. And Father, lastly, I pray that you give them rest. Give them rest for their minds, rest for their souls. Father, I know some of them are just, they're just worn out, and they love it. They love to be worn out for your glory. They love to be on empty because of your mission. But Father, I pray you'd fill them back up, because I know what they're going to do. When you fill up that gas tank, Father, I know what they're going to do. They're going to serve you again, and we love them for that. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing great love through this church. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.